Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome everyone to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, wherever you are listening or watching to this podcast or YouTube video. And I am so excited coming from not Japan this time. Today she is in America in her childhood bedroom, I just discovered, which I think is fabulous because my parents no longer live in my house. So I don't have a childhood bedroom to go back to. So I'm very jealous, um, is today's wonderful guest, Nina Cataldo. Welcome, Nina. Thank you. And this is a semi-childhood bedroom. They moved here after I went off to college, but okay, they've been here for 10 years, so it's still home to me. And it's, it's nice to be able to chat with you from across the Pacific Ocean now. So thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. So I'm going to read a little of your bio just to introduce you so everyone knows who you are and what you do. So Nina is a DEI facilitator and multicultural communication specialist based normally in Tokyo, Japan, but you grew up in the Pacific Northwest of the US and came back to Japan at the age of 23. And Nina is the amazing powerhouse founder of Hafu Ladies, which we're going to talk about a lot today, and also the co-founder of the Brave and Bold Mastermind Program for Asian Women Entrepreneurs, which we're also going to talk about today. And I remember when you announced that you were going to quit your job and like go on the peace boat for four months, and you worked as an interpreter, and then you came back to Japan and uh, yeah, lots of things changed for you. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, you know, crazy time really with uh, deciding to quit my full-time expat cushy job and then uh, going on this world tour around the world on a boat. And then I really calculated everything to be able to come back and like be able to work full time as a travel writer, because that's what I was doing on the, on the side while I was working at a publishing firm. And, you know, right as I decided to do that uh, is when Corona hit. So <laughs> uh, travel was not the first thing on everyone's priority list. All that work dried up. At the same time, I think it was a silver lining in terms of me being able to pivot and use my skills for different aspects of my career. So it's been a wild ride the last year and a half or so, but it's been a really, really fun discovery for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's many people who have uh, had a had a wild ride in the last year and a half, things <laughs> which they expected to happen, haven't happened, change of plans. Kind of interesting as well, though, it's given a lot of people time to think about their ikigai to think about what's getting them out of bed in the morning what they're doing what makes you feel icky icky right what makes you feel right. icky icky waku waku what makes you feel excited and alive and and have those moments so I'm going to dive right in with that question so for you Nina how would you describe your ikigai how does it show up for you in your life yeah so ever since I was young as a teenager I've always said you know when I think about my future career I always said, as long as I can make an impact, a positive impact on one person's life, then I feel like my, you know, my purpose on this, on this earth has been accomplished. And with that said, I think 
community building and creating a social uh, circle for people where they can feel safe and comforted and find people like themselves has been a huge aspect of what I find important in life. Yeah, so that I would say is my ikigai is like being the creator of this this community of this safe space and a place where people can connect with one another and empower one another as well. And you you said like from when you were young, is that, is that a role that you would sort of play in in your childhood? You know, like when you were even like very young, right? I remember uh, Dr. Ashley Dash um, on a previous podcast was talking about like going back to those little pictures of herself when she was like seven or eight, the sort of genius zone. Is that something you did then? I think I've always been a very social person and well, okay, I'll, I'll take that back. I was actually very, very shy growing up, but I really came out of my shell in junior high, high school. Right. And at that point, I really loved the aspect of connecting people. Even in high school, my friends and I used to throw parties. Yes. Parents approved, parents let <laughs> us throw parties, kinds of things. But I would always be the one yeah, in charge of like the social aspect of bringing people together. So it's it's really been something that I always found myself enjoying setting up and seeing people uh, interact with one another in. And so I think that really stuck with me since I was younger. I, as a, as a young shy person, especially like moving from Japan to the States and whatnot, mm. like I remember being very shy. I remember being very excluded, especially in more of the clickier schools that I went to. And I always remember thinking like, I never want anyone else to feel the way I did. So I think that really stuck with me. So even now when I see someone new, like I'll be able to, I'll be sure to talk to them, uh, bring them in, connect with them to other people. And that's really, really stuck with me that, that empathy of knowing how it feels to be on the other side and knowing that I don't want anyone to feel like that in any circumstance. I love that. I think that's so beautiful. (laughs) And I think it reminds me of one of the elements in the Ikigai 9, which is an assessment that's recently been validated in English. And it's about sort of nine different areas that you can look at in your life about like hope for the future, feeling positive about the future is one element, thinking about like learning and just kind of generally, you know, how you can improve yourself. And then there's a big element that's all about like community and feeling like you're contributing to someone, feeling that someone needs you, uh, that kind of uh, vibe, I guess. And I love what you said, you know, like if you are in a new space and you don't know anyone, And that person who comes up and says, hey, Jen, or, you know, see the name badge. (laughs) Hello, Jen, how are you? Like, nice to meet you. I'm Nina. I'm the host of this group. And that small step is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't realize, right, how much it changes someone's experience of the world. So bravo. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah, it's definitely something I experienced moving from school to school. Yeah, just being in different settings, moving from country to country. And it's like, yeah, we really need just it's just that one person that says hi to you. That's all it takes for someone to like come out of their shell or feel more comfortable to be themselves in that space. So providing that sort of opportunity in that space is just something that's always been really important to me. And that's a great, like great takeaway for everyone listening and watching just to be, be that one person. If you're in, especially cause like, we're going to be at some point kind of moving out of our, our caves, right. <laughs> moving out of lockdown. Like what does it look like at a networking event? And if you can be that one person, because I think, you know, even as an extrovert, it's going to be quite difficult to 
kind of moved back into society. I forgot how to talk to people. I'm glad I'm doing this podcast, but <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny. It's funny too because when I say that I'm really shy, my, a lot of my friends are very surprised to hear that. But my mom is like, yes, Nina is shy. And the, and the thing is, I think when I know more than one person, I feel more comfortable in a situation to be myself. But if I only know one person or if I don't know anybody, then I'm really, really shy. And I know that a lot of people are in that, are in that same kind of realm. So really being able to, to pinpoint that and being able to be that comfort point for one person or more. That's just so important. Wonderful. That's a great, great ikigai. I would like to be (laughs) the comfort point for someone and how that makes you feel when you're able to provide that that space. So beautiful. And also, yeah, I love the idea of you never wanted to feel like that again. I've, I've seen that like as a driver in a couple of people that I've spoken to. So Violet on the, the previous episode and even Zane on episode one, he talked about this terrible job that he had and he was like, mm-hmm. and I knew that's not what I want to do with like with my life. This doesn't make me feel icky icky at all. It makes me feel whatever the opposite of icky icky is <laughs> like definitely not like a, something I'm leaping out of bed for. And so it's interesting. I think that that I don't want someone to go through that and I don't want to go through that again is also a way that people are reaching into their ikigai. Yeah, absolutely. And you kind of took that to an amazing degree with your community of Hafu ladies. So I would love to hear, you know, the origin story of how you arrived at it and tell us everyone all about Hafu ladies. Yeah. So uh, when I moved back to the, to Tokyo six years ago now after college, Everyone in college was telling me, you're so brave for moving to a whole new country. And I was like, I'm just moving to my motherland. Like, this is no big deal. Um, I'm just moving back. But then I realized when I arrived in Japan that I was totally getting, you know, treated as a foreigner, as someone that is not Japanese. And I felt really out of place. And I'm still very, very close with my international school friends that I went to, to school with in Japan when I was younger. And when I talked to them about it, they they grew up in Japan all the way through high school and then off to college in the States or whatnot. But they were kind of desensitized to it. You know, oh, we're just used to it. We just stay in our own circle. But I was the opposite of I was just out in the Japanese society and I really didn't know how to handle it. Mm. It was not something I had to confront in the United States, this aspect of being othered. And luckily... About two years into living in Japan, I met people who are part of the Hafu community. And I realized for the first time, oh, there is a Hafu community. There's a community for mixed race Japanese people out here. And it was just so fantastic to be introduced to them. And I'm still very close with them. I'm very still active with everyone. But, you know, a few months into it, I was was feeling like, Oh, it's an online community. I was like, oh, I want to ask this question or I want, I'm wondering about this. But a lot of things kind of pertain to being a woman as well. That intersection of being a, a female identifying, woman identifying as well as mixed race Japanese. And I felt not 100% safe asking that sort of question or bringing up those kinds of discussion points within that community that engaged with parents of Hafu ch- children as well as men and whoever. And I just wanted to know. And I, I knew that as a woman, as a Hafu woman, I wanted a space where it was just Hafu women, women identifying folks who can talk about these things. Mm. And so it was just like, doesn't exist. I'll just create it. 
Why do you think it didn't exist yet? Why wasn't anyone doing it? Well, you know, I really, I'm not sure. There is one group that's like oh, uh, Kansai Hapu women's group, but they're very much like social, grabbing dinner together and whatnot. And that's great, but it wasn't as much discussion-based. And I, and I, I don't have an answer for why it didn't exist, but it just didn't. It didn't. And so I'm yeah. going to do it then. <laughs> I want it, so I'm going to do it. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I still, from time to time, get questions like, oh, why isn't there a men's group? Like, why isn't there a men's group? And I always say, like, you can make one. If you want it, you can make it. But people don't make it. So (laughs) it's it's kind of funny. But I think, yeah, when you don't see something that you think is a need for people, then I think it's just so important to create it and see how it flourishes. I had no idea what it was going to be like. And I'm humbled and grateful of how it has emerged to how it is now. So. And so where where is Healthy Ladies now since you launched? Yeah. Yeah, two two and a half years ago now, and uh, online we have one thousand, a, a little over one thousand one hundred members in the Facebook group, and yeah, it continues to grow. The lucky thing about the past year, because when we first started out, it was a lot of social events in Tokyo, just on the sole basis that I was based in Tokyo. Founders' rights. I I love that. Like I'm here. This time works for me, so we're gonna have it here. Exactly. And, and no one thought about online on Nomi and things like that then. But yeah, the silver lining truly in, in the last year has been that we can make our global community into something that is truly global in the sense that we can do online drinking events or online educational events, which has been a huge factor in our community in the past year is doing different talks, bringing in guest speakers, having discussions, Q&As, those kinds of things that really bring our community itself closer together and for others outside of the community to know what we are doing as well. Yeah, yeah. And I really love, I say I'm not a member of Halfway Ladies because I'm a Halfway Mama. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you about that because you'd mentioned, you know, some, maybe some of the challenges that happened in some of the, the Halfway online communities where you're having to deal with, yeah, parents of Halfway kids and like were there some difficulties like what kind of things happen just so I can be a better yeah it's it's a really challenging thing because obviously every parent what's wants what's best for their children yeah and every parent is going to defend their children and act in a way to make sure that their children are safe yeah and I 100% empathize and understand that but at the same time, you know, parents that are monoracial or whatnot, they aren't, they aren't us hapus. So there's a lot of differences there. And so I think a lot of times, I don't want to say specifically what kind of people or who or whatnot, but a lot of times in the groups, there's a, a there's an imbalance in t- the types of parents that exist within the hapu community that come up with their own, their own bias or their own ways of parenting. And it often makes us Hafus who've gone through the lived experience feel belittled and ignored in our own experience. And that's what I've, what I've seen in a lot of the issues is, for example, like a Hafu person will come with uh, this, this, and this happened. How should I deal with it? And then 
parents of the Hafu kids will be like, oh, my kids don't think about that. Don't think about that or that kind of thing. And, and other Hafus will be like, well, actually, I felt like this. I don't, it's it's really hard to say, but we feel very unheard and belittled and unsafe in that sense. Mm. And the thing is, yes, again, parents want what's best for us, but they don't know exactly what it feels like to be Hafu. I've had a lot of parents when I talk to them about the Hafu ladies community because they have Hafu daughters who are, say, my age. Yeah, The parents will be like, well, my kids have never gone through a racial identity crisis or identity crisis so they don't have to be part of the community and uh, I'm just like <laughs> you're like no your kids have never told you about their racial identity crisis that they've had exactly or maybe they haven't but yeah yeah no one <laughs> will tell you they need therapy but everyone needs therapy <laughs> just, just a joke. yeah not necessarily but it's the same kind of thing like they might not talk about it but you never know and like sometimes it's like they don't even know that they needed a community where they feel like they really truly belong in until they're part of it and then they realize how needed it was I mean that yeah. was the, that was the same for me like when I really reflect on my my childhood and like my uh, university years like all of my a lot of my friends a lot of my classmates or a lot of my roommates in college were like mixed race Japanese but it was never something we talked about mm. and it's only literally recently that I'm just like huh we actually had a lot in common in the sense of identity and we've never we never talked about it we were all accustomed to being like western westernized Americans right kind of uh succumbing to the white culture or whatnot but it was something we never talked about and it's something that's so prevalent in my life now in in Tokyo because it's just so in my face and it's just so fascinating that I never realized I needed it but now that I am part of it and able to speak about it it's like so comforting to know of people who can understand me on both sides and on all angles of my life and be able to empathize and understand one another from the the angle of being a woman to being yeah. an angle of an Asian woman to a mixed race Asian woman to a white woman that's mixed and and living in another country like all these different identities that I carry within myself that I'm able to identify with it's amazing it's just so like it's so empowering to hear that you took you took that feeling of you know not being safe that and then you've turned it into something so mm-hmm. positive and a, and a great place and I, I just really applaud that you have you've done that you've created this is amazing thousand plus mm-hmm. members and you did I, I heard a lot about the stuff that you were doing like through lockdown making it more uh, more global and like really highlighting different individuals within the community and their skill set and it's not like we're just going to talk about being Hafu it's like no and this person is an amazing ex who happens to be Hafu that's like why they're they're here in this community but it's really about like focusing on you know, you, you're not just here as the token Hafu to talk about your Hafu experience. Like there's actually all these different identities that we have as humans and skill sets and interests and things that we can bring. And that's been one of the coolest parts of it. I think like I hosted an online dance event with one of the Hafu girls who is a dancer and she led a kind of impromptu dance thing. And we invited some of our our, our mutual friends' um, daughters who are Hafu to come on the come on the Zoom. And like afterwards I stayed on, you know, they're like 10, 11. I stayed on with them. And it was just so great because it wasn't like, talk to me about how you're Hafu. It was like, 
they were like, Nina, what are your favorite movies? What what music do you like to listen to? And we talked about just quote unquote normal things. Yeah. And that's what I, I, that was like a moment that I was like, this is like what we need in our community is to like normalize ourselves. We're not exoticized by anything that we can just like talk about daily things that we just happen to be bound by this commonality of being mixed race Japanese women but that that's not at the forefront of who we are and that we are just, we have so much other stuff in common. And I just love talking to the younger girls because I want them to be able to grow up with people who are in their lives, who are like them racially, you know, that sort of identity, but in all aspects, just like an older sister, an older senpai figure of whatnot that they can look up to, but also be able to go to them if they do have those kinds of crises or worries in their lives as well in a safe space. So that was a really, really beautiful epiphany for me to experience as well. It's amazing. Yes. You know, I uh, always offer to my daughter, but she's just not. No, no. That's okay. It's great to know. know that when she needs it, it's there. Exactly. Yeah, it's such a journey, and some people uh, don't don't need it, and truly don't need it, or find it when it's just whenever the right time in their lives, and that's all totally fine. But the fact that like these resources exist and people know about it I think that's the most important aspect of it what's what's changed for you you know personally it's like since you launched this community and also obviously you you, you've launched this this mastermind piece as well yeah what's what's it giving to you as a human the bottom line is purpose (laughs) (laughs) I feel more connected and in tuned it was something that I grew up not being connected to So feeling more grateful for who I am. And yeah, I think just feeling more purposeful and empowered to be who who I am. Because again, like growing up, these are aspects of myself that not necessarily I masked, but never put thought into. And it the the reality of of the world for better or for worse is that a lot of times we are defined by the fact that we're women. We're defined by the fact that we're Asian. Uh, these these are aspects that actually affect our careers and our lives. And so bringing that to the forefront, but still persevering through those kinds of aspects of who we are and, and being empowered about those facts have been a really enlightening, enlightening fact for myself as well. Amazing. So tell me a little bit, though, about your uh, Brave and Bold Mastermind. Did I get the name right? Yes, you got it correctly. It's something my business partner, Christy Ishii, and I have been working on. We're just in love with it. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it's it's been really awesome. So our, our whole concept is we are a program that helps Asian women entrepreneurs accelerate in their business or to turn their passion projects into their livelihoods. And we're about just over halfway through with our first cohort of our 14-week program, uh, which had a retreat um, last weekend, an online retreat that held speakers who are all Asian women entrepreneurs, some hafu, some not. It was just so inspiring. Like we ourselves are shocked by our whole principle in running a business around only supporting Asian women entrepreneurs. And we were able to like basically uphold our whole, like all of our whole retreat by having only Asian women entrepreneurs as speakers 
everything from like we're doing a photo shoot in a few weeks we're bringing an Asian woman photographer everything we like we we give perks to our cohort members and they're all goods that are created by Asian women entrepreneurs everything about our business is around that and it's been so much fun yeah and Christy being in the U.S. me in Japan it's just great to have that coast-to-coast feel and she brings a lot of skills that I don't have. I bring a lot of skills that she's not good at. So uh, together we make a great team and it's been fantastic to see our cohort grow in terms of who they are. We have a small cohort cohort of three women in the program right now, which makes for a great weekly call of just five of us. And we've really seen each of them grow and progress in their businesses in what they want to do. And as people as well, gaining more confidence, being able to tell their stories in a way that they want to. That's been really fantastic. Like even, even the people that we choose for our retreat or guest speakers, we keep our cohort in mind and we think who's who would be good for them to listen uh, to to talk to and uh whatnot so we've made it into a program that not only helps them accelerate in business but also network meet other people then meet one another and help one another as well yeah and it's yeah I, I sort of see the 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 red thread going through from what you know, you've done with with Halfu Ladies, and also like the the party planning that you did when you were at the you know at a high school, junior high school. This like curating the space, bringing the people together, making the right atmosphere, and it just seems like every my observation of you as an outsider is someone who is really focused on making like an amazing experience. And you mm. look at all like the little details and all these, yeah, just, you know, as you said, like the perks and the, the different parts and like how you put things together. It's always super professional, but all always with so much heart as well. Mm. And I think that's amazing to, to observe. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's all about creating that experience for people. And I just, again, I just want people to never feel like I ever did feeling isolated or whatnot. And making sure that everyone's happy and empowered and excited to to work together or work on their own what not <laughs> yeah yeah and i love your energy like i feel i feel that that kind of ikigai can coming through you as you like the feeling of ikigai as you describe this i'm guessing you're feeling in yourself as you say it i mean yeah my career is my passion project and that word <laughs> passion is massive in my life and I, I i feel it to be very similar to ikigai correct me if i'm wrong but there's a lot of synergy between those those two words for me so yes yes that's amazing and i wanted to also comment on the the origin story of this mastermind as well i thought it was yeah, you can tell it better than me, but my impression as well was that you turn something very negative into something amazingly positive. Could you share a little bit about that process? Yeah, it, it was actually kind of a coincidence because Christy and I started talking about doing the mastermind late last year, early this year. So it was before the turn of the the Asian hate that was happening in the United States. We just happened to be launching the, the the launch date just happened to be just around when this was starting to emerge in the States. And around that same time I experienced one of the worst hate I, I don't want to say hate crimes, but one of the worst discriminations I felt in Japan so far. And 
unfortunately, it's something I face most days in Japan with microaggression being, you know, told I'm not Japanese, your Japanese is so good, can you use chopsticks, all this and that. But someone really grilling me, interrogating me for 10 minutes or so, and really kind of bringing my spirits down of mm. what it means to be myself, notice what it means to be Asian, what it means to be mixed race Asian. And that experience kind of really reminded me to not just feel down from an experience like that and remind myself that those kinds of reactions, why we need to actually be more visible and educate others about why Asian women in the forefront, mixed race Asian women in Japan, those kinds of people are so important in our society. So it really was just an accelerator into reminding me that I need to continue doing the work I do and to remind other Asian women to not back down and be themselves and be confident in what they do as well. Yeah. And I love that you did the great like call out for looking for info of uh, and uh, more role models of strong Asian women. So it's not about being victims, but instead like, and as you're doing with this cohort, right. And with this program and with Harfu ladies, just the whole thing is there's opportunities. There's different things that you can see that you can turn up in the world, however you like, let's try and find people who inspire you and who look like you and seem somehow, you know, recognizable lived experience that you can draw on. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important. Yeah, it's amazing. So I don't want to keep you in this negative space, but I'm going to ask you one more like negative question. So I apologize for that. But it's something which has come up with a lot of people who are very sort of driven in their ikigai, where it's almost this kind of the, the vocation element, like really strong calling and the passion project. Mm-hmm. So I know that um, Sarah Lou talked about it from the Dream Collective that she was, you know, so, so, so focused. And then Robin Lewis from My Mizu is like about to burn out. And he has luckily cut that and made some changes in his lifestyle, which is great to see. And in the questions, you also shared a little bit about some of the difficulties that have happened for you, Nina, for integrating your Ikigai, about just the exhaustion you feel. Yeah. It's, I, you know, we both, we both work with a coach, the same coach. And I, I know from working with her and knowing myself that I tend to carry a lot of people's emotions and weight of that on myself. Yep. And I think anyone in a managerial role and a leadership role knows that sometimes that's really, really difficult when you carry everybody's emotions in them. Yeah. And I, I am one of those people who really empathize and work with people and, and that, definitely has brought me to exhaustion, especially at times when there is tension, especially like racial tension, cultural tension within our community as well. And that has been really difficult to deal with on my own, especially because I don't have the authority to represent everybody in our community. I should never have that authority. I'm just one person as well. So trying to balance that, that between the line between being the leader for the community versus still keeping my individuality and only being able to represent myself and not speak for others. That has sometimes been difficult, definitely. How do you manage that? It's hard. I definitely 
I think on an emotional level, and perhaps this is a privileged way to look at it, but I try to distance myself from it sometimes. Yep. Just on a personal level, I need that breather and to come back to the issue. I try to never leave something unsolved and try to bring in others who are more authorized to speak on an issue or whatnot to, to be the representative. But yeah, sometimes finding that line is, is very difficult. I've definitely seen myself try to take a step back in order to let things emerge on their own, evolve on their own, um, step in when I need to, but try to take a back, back seat if I can. For better or for worse, that's the type of leadership that I personally believe in is to, to empower others to be able to speak up for themselves right. and to take the front stage. So that's what I've been doing the most of. I know I can do better. There's a lot I'm still working on in terms of growing the community. I know that I need others in leadership roles that are not people like myself, the the white hafu, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Western hafu type of people and all that. So it's still something I'm working on. Um, that's also been something that I personally do struggle with. I am a perfectionist. I'm a Virgo. I think we're both Virgos. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we're perfectionists, um, which brings me into kind of the control realm. The word which is going in my head was control, control. <laughs> yeah. And so I like things to be run a certain way in the way I want to, while I see my own community that I founded growing, which means I need other people yeah. with hands on deck. At the same time, it's been a an, an issue for me to mentally realize that that also means I need to let go of some control. Mm. It's something that's a personal issue that I worked through, but I think it is an, an important aspect if you want to see your community grow and thrive in a positive manner as well. Yeah. And it, it's making me think of, you know, we talked about there's this idea within parts of Ikigai about community and the moai and also talking about like feeling needed. But when you're needed too much and you feel needed too much, then that gets really heavy. Yeah. But also that, you know, how can how can you shift it? How can you because doing the work, like being involved is making you generally feel like I'm doing important things. I'm making this amazing space. And so, oh, how does the next iteration show up? Who am I if I'm not like making all these decisions and doing all these things? Yeah. What's my purpose now? Yeah. You know, it's like sort of another little uh, transition and a kind of uh, a little identity crisis we talked about before. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure that out. I think that making that transition is the hardest part. I think once you do it, it becomes much easier. Definitely. But yeah, making that first big leap is the is the challenge in itself. Well, I will quote then uh, the wonderful Ken Moggy, who's a neuroscientist who writes about Ikigai. And he always says, start small. So you don't need to make a big leap. You can just make a very, very small thing. I don't know what that would look like for you in, in your community, but there's an option for you. Yeah, definitely. And And when you talk about as well, like taking a step back and, you know, creating some some room in your mind, shall we call it? What type of things do you do to relax and to let go and to have that? What's what's that part of Ikigai for you? Well, I've in the last four or five months, I've come up with a better sleep routine, Ooh. which I didn't realize was so important. <laughs> Tell me the secrets. <laughs> 
my sleep's awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like transitioning into a freelancer last year was just kind of like, oh, I make my own hours. I can sleep until whenever. That's not the case, (laughs) as as I learned. So really having a, a, a time when I wind down, I take a bath, like probably like four times a week at least. Yeah. And then really slowly get into the the sleep routine going into bed by like 10 p.m or so waking up by 8 a.m or so every day that has been a world of a change getting that full more than eight hours yeah (laughs) yeah and and I've also started boxing and yeah and I I like a lot of people have told me I've started to treat it like a meeting like I block out that hour of the day Mm. and don't allow for meetings to happen and things and that really gives me that fantastic routine throughout the week of at this time I go boxing and that I think that physical energy shift has really helped me be a better leader better person just working as well yeah so just little changes like that I should be doing more things like meditating or yoga or whatnot but Small steps. (laughs) Well, if there's one thing that, you know, I learned with interviewing all these amazing people through this Ikigai podcast is really like, just do what makes you feel good. And if yoga doesn't make you feel good and meditation doesn't make you feel good, don't do it. Like if boxing is the moment where you feel flow, then yeah, just box. That's true. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Ikigai can be so expansive and it doesn't need to be this idea of, and you have to do this like checklist of like 10, 10 steps I need to do every day in order to have my integrated Ikigai. I think it's much more like just waking up today. I'm here. How do I want to live my life? What's going to make me feel happy to be here? A sense of my own existence, right? And when you're boxing, you feel strong, powerful. Maybe sometimes you feel weak, but you definitely feel like a sense of your own body and your your existence as a human being. Yeah, it's it's great. It's a way for me to get the frustrations out. And then leave it there and then come back and be able to feel refreshed and renewed and be able to go into my work as a professional unbiasedly and however else I need to be. So, yeah. Yes. Great. So everyone take a boxing (laughs) or something that makes you feel the same thing where you can get that out and leave it. So what advice do you have for people who are, you know, trying to find their ikigai? They're not sure what their purpose is how they want to feel. Yeah, I was thinking about this for a while. And the only thing that I could really come up with was, I think people really need to think about what gives them butterflies in their stomach, Mm -hmm. or the spark in the eyes. I think often, even when you're talking to someone who doesn't really know what their ikigai is, you as a third person, a third party, you know what their ikigai is better than they do because you see those little moments of like spark in their eyes or just like little like lift in the shoulders. Like I think there's a lot we can tell. And I think people really need to remind themselves of what gets them excited when they're talking about it. That was something definitely that I had to think about. It's you know, there's a lot that society tells us to do and be you know, you should do this, you should do that, I, I should do this, I should do that. But if you're saying that in a way that brings you down, then that's not your ikigai. And so yeah, that the butterflies in your stomach, it's, it's a term that often is reserved for romance. And it really shouldn't because 
your career, like your, your livelihood, whatever you decide to do in your life is as important or even sometimes more important than your romantic life. <laughs> so <laughs> however your relationship is with it. Yeah, I think really thinking deep about what brings you joy in that sense is how you find Ikigai. It seems simple, but sometimes it's so hard to get to that point. And it, it took me years to figure out and be at that point as well. But it comes through just thinking about things, talking about things with others and finding that like observing your own actions and realizing, oh, that just made me really like my hairs on my arm stand up or, you know, things like that. You don't even realize until it happens. Then you're like, oh, yeah, that's the feeling that I need to ride with. And that is Ikigai. It's like the inside out that like the body doesn't lie when you talk about that topic. I'm I'm full body goosebumps now, by the way. <laughs> I'm definitely feeling Ikigai in this moment talking to you. And it's it's almost as well like the callback to what you said right at the beginning about like approaching people and talking to them. And I just thought what a wonderful gift it would be if you said like, you know, Nina, when you were talking about blah, blah, blah. I felt the spark. I felt the excitement in your life and like observing and then naming it and noticing to someone else, like what they do with it is their own business. But just to give that service to be like your energy changed. I think you might have a little icky guy hint going on there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to do yeah. that. That's my, my homework from this, uh, <laughs> this session. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. Like even doing with just friends, or people around you, I think, yeah, I think a lot can come out of those kinds of conversations and a lot of new things can emerge for others as well. Yeah, it's amazing. So we are nearly out of time for our uh, chat today. So is there any final messages, things that you want to tell people about Ikigai, yourself, things that they should do and take with them into the world? Yeah, I think go with your gut. I, again, like... I say I'm a huge control freak. I've spent a lot of my life wanting everything to be controlled. And this past year has been a huge year of surrender. Mm. And when you let go and let things emerge on their own, a lot of times you'll find the answers at its core. So don't ever overthink. That's hard to do, but let things emerge as they come. Remember to surrender and follow your gut. And I think that's a great way to find your calling and find the, the road that you're supposed to follow as you go along. Love it. Surrender and follow your gut. Reminds me of, again, Moggy Sensei. I feel like you, you two would have a great uh, chat. He talks about um, like releasing yourself. Mm -hmm. Just really like release yourself from the process. The surrender that you have described, it's really beautiful. I love that idea because there's so many shoulds, aren't there? And so many expectations. And I think around this, this ikigai, which as you've described it, you know, it's such a felt experience. Like, you know it when you, you're in the moment, you're, you know, as you do, like, I'm sure when you're, well, I'm, I'm not sure. So I'm going to ask if this is true. Like, you know, when you're standing in front of your clients talking about DEI topics, and maybe you see like the light bulb in the person, you feel the shift, like, is that I, I feel like for me, that's a moment of Ikigai I would feel. Um, same for you? Yeah, absolutely. If I if I get one person being like, I never knew that, or I never thought of it that way. I'm just like, there it is. This is why I'm, you know, why I'm here giving a speech to a hundred of you. That one person having that light bulb go off, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully more, but 
Yes. We're ripple effects, ripple effects. Start small, start small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Release yourself, yeah. start small. Don't expect it. Change the world overnight. Yeah. That's wonderful. And so if people want to contact you, Nina, so first of all, like, I guess, call out for Half Food Ladies. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to share? Yeah. We're still working on a website. Uh, my apologies, but we do have a Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Hafu Ladies. And we also have a private group for anyone who is Hafu mixed race or really wanting to know the community. I'm still reserving parents of Hafus for another group that will eventually emerge in a way that I really need to be specifically made so it's safe. And yeah, and you can contact me through my website, Nina M for Marie Cataldo.com. That's the best way to probably contact me. Yeah. And hopefully I can work with people in the in the realm of DEI facilitation or people wanting to be part of the Hoffa Ladies community or any of the programs, uh, BBM Brave and Bold Mastermind program that we'll be setting up again in the future as well. Oh yeah. When's your next cohort going to be? Still deciding, but we're anticipating sometime in the fall. Mm, So mark your calendars, Asian women, Asian female entrepreneurs, right? Yes. We're super excited. I get to see Christy in person in a few weeks. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So we'll have our own little retreat, just the two of us to to talk about the future of the program. So we're very, very, very excited. So many ikigai (laughs) moments during that time. I'm pretty sure. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and always blows me away because you are so young, (laughs) so wise, so together visionary like just doing and doing stuff like riding with everything and doing stuff and turning things which have been difficult for you into these amazing and supportive spaces and opportunities for other people so huge inspiration I hope that my half your daughter uh, grows up to be just like you Nina and uh, <laughs> will be a lovely onesan for other kids as well but if she doesn't she'll grow up to be herself and that will be amazing too so that's amazing yeah yes yes thank you so much Jen so thank you so much and uh, enjoy the rest of your stay in the U.S. thank you so much I will bye bye Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.